Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. We are working on finishing up January, which is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and we've had some pretty great episodes going over not only that, but also stalking. It's also Stalking Awareness Month. Uh, There was just a few more things that we felt like we needed to cover on this topic, so here we are to go through that. We're excited to be here, uh, excited to share this content, and excited to just get started into this. Absolutely, and we had such an amazing conversation with Melissa Holland from Awaken in our last episode, and what we wanted to extend that conversation today We will be covering some important terms that we did not cover last time. Um, We will also cover and share some real life stories of sex trafficking to really add some more context and understanding. Yeah, our last episode too, I I rewatched it a few times. I'm sure you guys did as well. Um, What an amazing conversation. Like I feel like having her and having kind of an expert, someone that's working in the field, it's so important to have those conversations, right? And bring in kind of that expertise. And there's just a lot of misconceptions. So yeah, that's why we're super excited to be able to, you know, dive in a little bit deeper on the incredible conversation and kind of foundation Melissa laid for us on this topic. Uh, With that being said, you know, we are going to have a conversation on sex trafficking. We are going to be sharing out, you know, with confidentiality in place of, you know, survivor stories. There's a public survivor story we're going to be kind of speaking about today. So just please take care of yourself. This, you know, is a triggering topic for some, right? So please just take care. Uh, You can always reach out to us. We always have our infographic shared. We have our email attached if anyone has any further questions or, you know, wants to kind of speak to us about anything. But that being said, we are going to start today by going over some important terms. Something we discussed with Melissa, I think, was a lot about visibility, right? And, you know, we have to understand this issue. Our eyes can't see what our mind doesn't know. So for us to combat trafficking in our own communities, we have to understand it. That's just, I think, the basis, right? And I think lingo is super important because most of the time, right, we know trafficking victims really aren't going to, you know, come to anyone and say, like, listen, I'm being trafficked, you know, that's, that's, or it's not that's never going to happen, but it's really rare, right? And so most of the times, the things we pick up on, a lot of the warning signs, right, they, they're visible signs, or maybe things that we can hear. And so this lingo, a lot of this lingo could be, yeah, maybe um, an indicator, right, that someone may be at least knowledgeable of this lifestyle enough, right, for you to kind of step in and, and ask some questions. So we are going to start, Bree's going to start us off with our terms here. Yeah, so first one is pimp. So we hear that everywhere, right? We've heard the show Pimp My Ride. I also think of the adjective, oh, that's pimpin', you know, pimp cane. Uh, let's see, can you guys think yeah. of any others right now? I just feel like working at a high school, I've just heard it a million times Mm -hmm. that's pimped out like just anything and i don't think they understand what it means at all right right yeah it's just like a glorified as well as in music definitely yes so glamorized but we are here to tell you that that just means a trafficker so we need to stop using that term stop glamorizing that term because it is just adding glamour to this life that is a nightmare for so many people And when you hear that word, make sure that you stop using it in the way that is giving it the attention that makes it seem some sort of something you would want, because it's definitely not. That means a pimp is a trafficker. 
moving on to John, I think the name John really gets a bad rap. <laughs> you know, there's like Dear John, John Doe. <laughs> Yeah, I can say too, being outside of Philly, everything is John, right? If you are from Philly or outside of Philly, everything is just a John too. So this is also kind of funny for me too. I'm like, wow, this name really does get a lot of use. Yeah, yeah sorry John. to all the Johns out there. <laughs> sorry, Johns. <laughs> but a John means a buyer, a date, a trick. You know, it's the person who is is purchasing the other person. So when they are searching for Johns or they're trying to catch a John, something like that, that's what they're talking about is the buyer. Um, and then the phrase turning tricks means they are performing sexual acts with a buyer, right? So they have a John or a trick, they're turning tricks. It means that they're repeatedly uh, doing that act, repeatedly being sold to a John. And then we go into the term bottom. And so this is actually the trafficker's right hand. Um, often it's a female. She helps instruct other victims. She can collect the money. She can also inflict some of the punishments. You know, she's right there next to them. It's a little bit of a different relationship to the other victims than the, the John or the pimp. Um, yeah, the pimp has to the other victims. Um, she's a victim herself, but she has power over the others because she is that bottom. And we often see uh, other victims used to recruit other girls as well. So that could be a role of the bottom that we seize. You would maybe assume looking from the outside in that a victim in this wouldn't want anyone else to be going through this, but with all the dynamics of what goes on in trafficking, sometimes they are forced to recruit other members, uh, recruit other girls into this. Yeah, so thank you for that, Bree. And now we're going to move on and talk about the different types of traffickers, right? And so we can start, we're going to start off with the finesse pimp. And usually this type of pimp is a pimp that uses a lot of smooth talk and false promises to lure their victims in, right? Um, they use a lot of the psychological manipulation. And so an example of that is, you know, someone that targets possibly um, you know, a girl who is maybe 14, 15, who 15, who is trying to become a model, right? And so what they'll do is they'll go ahead and target them and lure them in by providing them with false promises. Like, you know, you're so beautiful. I would love for you to become a model. You can definitely make it. Um, I can connect you with a model agency. I can be your manager, right? And kind of lures them in by giving them those false promises. Um, but in reality, you have this trafficker, this pimp, that is trying to find whatever way possible to lure that victim in. And again, it's through false promises. Then you have your Romeo pimp, right? And the Romeo pimp is the one that kind of plays that boyfriend role. Um, they use their charm and false love really um, to lure their victims in. And so they will shower their victims with attention, with gifts, and we'll tell them pretty much whatever they wanna hear, right? So if they are targeting someone who is seeking love, you know, they will definitely show them that. If they are targeting someone who has low self-esteem, right, they're going to tell them that they're beautiful and make them believe that. And so that's their way of kind of luring them in. And I kind of refer to this type of pimp as, you know, the Prince Charming, because um, typically that's really what they're trying to do. And again, the victim is unaware that this is actually someone that is trying to traffic them. They think that they are actually their boyfriend, right, or that they're in a relationship with them. And then you have the gorilla pimp. 
The Gorilla Pimp is, I want to say the least common, the one that we see more uh, mostly is the Romeo Pimp. But with the Gorilla Pimp, um, this trafficker tries to control their victims almost entirely through physical violence and force, right? Um, and so they may be the type of trafficker that will kidnap, um, that will physically hold a victim captive, right? And isolate them um, or place them in a room or in the basement. And so again, this does happen, um, but it's not you know, as common as the Romeo pimp. And then you have the madame. Um, and so this madame is a female trafficker or brothel owner. Um, this trafficker is typically an older woman who manages the brothel and escort services. They may actually even be in collaboration with other traffickers. Um, so these are all the different types of traffickers um, that there is, right? There's a lot more, but these are the most common. Um, but what they all have in common is that they are trying to gain power and control over their victims by, you know, profiting off of them, by sexually trafficking them or exploiting them. Yeah. And I like that we, you know, included that term as well, right? To kind of look at the fact that, and even talking about the bottom, right? Talking about how there's another victim that's possibly recruiting other girls into the system, right? Or other young men, who knows, right? I think it's important um, because, you know, as much as we do know, statistically, this happens more often to females. The dynamic usually, you know, could be the the male trafficker, the female victim. It is, um, it is something that happens, right? There are female traffickers and even just kind of looking at, of course, their victims in the situation, right? But even looking at that dynamic of, you know, the bottom kind of working to recruit other girls, right? It does happen, right? So we do see that. And I'm really appreciative that today we kind of get to really make sure that we kind of pick that apart, um, you know, and uncover mm -hmm. that a little bit. And so our next term on the list, so I have two that are kind of interesting and they, and they speak to one another. And so our next term on the list is called reckless eyeballing. And so what this is, first off, I will say that this could be a really visible red flag to maybe someone um, that knows a trafficking victim or maybe you're encountering or maybe you're someone like us that does, you know, direct work with, you know, a possible victim or survivor. This is a really prominent kind of red flag because uh, what reckless eyeballing is essentially traffic victims are trained out of looking anyone else in the eye besides their trafficker. And when I say trained out of, you know, there's a million awful things we could say there, right? Maybe through abusive means, through, um, you know, manipulation or threats, right? Uh, but essentially they know that they're not allowed to look at any other, especially another trafficker in the eye, because that implies ownership in this life, right? And so um, reckless eyeballing is essentially when maybe, you know, there's a, a a new traffic victim, right? Uh, someone that's new to the life and perhaps they don't know this. If they accidentally, you know, looked around, it's called reckless eyeballing because if they look another trafficker in the eye, that new trafficker now owns them. So to get them back, um, you know, if their old trafficker wants them back, right? Because we talked last time and it's awful, but people are super lucrative commodities for traffickers. It's a terrible dark, but truthful reality, right? So essentially one person that might be making a trafficker $200,000 a year. Yeah. If that old trafficker wants this person back, well, now they have to pay fees to this new trafficker and guess who's getting punished and has to work it off extra hard to make sure it's all paid for that victim. Right. And so that's super important. So victims will commonly not look, um, I mean, really anyone in the eye besides their trafficker. So something that we can kind of take notice of, right? Because it's, I mean, it's not, you know, completely uncommon for someone to have a hard time making eye contact, but it, it could become noticeable. 
And so the second term um, we kind of just discussed there is called choosing up. And so that is the process, right, of kind of looking someone else in the eye and having them take that ownership of you. So essentially, yeah, if you were reckless eyeballing and you looked at somebody else, you've now chose up your new trafficker. And so, again, two, um, you know, kind of meaningful terms, especially when we can kind of outright see reckless eyeballing. Yeah, moving on, we also have turn out, and that's when someone is forced into prostitution, and then also the game or the life, which uh, I think we have slipped a couple times because it's how we, you know, refer to it. So the game or the life just refers to the subculture of trafficking. You, you might hear a victim when they're talking about their experience, they say in the life or in the game, it's how they refer back to that and refer to things that happened during that time. Yeah. So just thinking, right, especially maybe we work with youth, we have youth, we just, you know, have any capacity um, to maybe overhear some of this stuff. Right. So, yeah, if you heard someone saying they were or they are in the life um, talking about, you know, the bottom and what, you know, they had to say to them today or any of these terms. Right. If we kind of heard somebody talking about reckless eyeballing, we heard someone talk about a buyer or trick. Right. It's just common for us in this field being familiar with these terms for us to kind of have that like alarm go off right of like hmm, something to take notice of and there's more terms than this as well so we're going to put the link below so you guys can go and um kind of access the full list but this was um taken specifically from shared hope international so these are of course all pretty common terms but they went ahead and kind of really extended the list um, and have kind of put all the all the phrases, all the vocab that you might hear surrounding trafficking, and it's a really useful resource. So we're going to link that below. And before we kind of move out of this little section, we also just wanted to highlight, you know, we talked about the auditory things you may hear that could indicate someone's um, being trafficked or in the life, but also to the, the visible aspect, right? And so it's really common um, for tattoos or brands to be put on traffic victims. And so of course, there's, you know, a million ways this would probably manifest or, you know, within the image or that person's name and what it could say. But some of the most common things that we see, the common tattoos that we see on trafficking victims, a lot of them are crowns because usually the trafficker, right? Think about this person that that dynamic is they're kind of owning other people, right? Think about that level of ownership, that level of assumed entitlement and power, right? And so a lot of them have trafficking names like king so-and-so um, or royal something. And so the image of a crown, especially if there's like a man's name attached to it, yeah, that's going to be, um, that's something that's commonly kind of seen. I'm not saying everyone with a crown run out right now and like call the trafficking hotline for your friend that has one. But we're saying, right, it's, it's again common and we see that um, it's, it's commonly seen in trafficking victims. Also, any kind of like sexually explicit language, especially near private areas of the body, um, dollar signs, essentially anything that kind of implies ownership, right? So maybe it is a barcode implying that this person is literally a, an item, or perhaps it actually says property of with someone's name, right? And again, for, for all of this, right, uh, hearing the terms and seeing these things, it does not directly mean warning this person's involved. But of course, again, just something to keep our eye on, something to maybe hold a conversation with that person about. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for highlighting that, because I think this is something that may be visible to everyone, right, especially tattoo, um, because people tend to think that because uh, there's a 
someone is being trafficked that there will be bruises on them, right? And there is times where they will have actual bruises and, and cuts that are visible, but most of the time that's not the case because they are seen as a product, right? Um, and the trafficker knows that they want to keep up their appearance. So a lot of times when they do abuse them, they abuse them in areas where that's not visible, like their head, right? Or areas that are covered. And so this is a perfect way for us to look at this as a red flag if we see this. And again, doesn't mean that they're being trafficked, but it just means, hey, let's take a closer look, make something maybe going on. So with that being said, I really wanted to share a story with everyone. Um, you know, for those who aren't aware, I was a human trafficking uh, educator and advocate for Live Violence Free a few years back. And once um, when I was first in that role, uh, I started off kind of just really educating myself, picking up some of those red flags and collaborating with agencies and businesses as well as the schools, right? Because we know that there are children that are being exploited and trafficked. And because of that, through that, um, I actually had one of the counselors reach out to me to make me aware that they were having um, some behavioral challenges with a student. Um, no one really thought anything of it, connected with her. Um, you could tell something was going on, wasn't really disclosing much, right? Um, but with that being said, I then had the mother's friend reach out to me um, after they saw one of my presentations, the same girl, to let me know that there were some really big red flags of this girl who she believes is being trafficked. I later found out that it was the same girl that I had received somewhat of a referral, referral for. Um, and this girl was a girl that was attending the high school. And apparently she met a guy um, through Facebook. He started messaging her, giving her the attention she really wanted. She was having a really difficult time. Mentioned how, you know, she didn't really have um, boyfriends. She wasn't really seen as beautiful. And she met this guy who would message her constantly after she posted a picture, wouldn't post it, wouldn't post a comment on her picture, but would message her privately, letting her know how beautiful she was, how he felt like he was in love just by looking at her, was really showering her with so much attention, right? That she was desperately needing because mom was always working. Dad was not really in the picture, was in and out of jail. And, um, she didn't really have many friends or was not much of a social person. So he was really becoming that person that she felt comfortable with, that person that she felt like she can depend on when she was having a bad day. Well, all these red flags started going up. We had teachers who were hearing her use language that seemed very concerning. Um, she was telling people in her class that, you know, if they wanted to make really quick money, she knew how to and could connect her connect them um, to who, who she is connected to. And so um, after speaking to her and her getting a little bit more comfortable with me, she started disclosing more information about this guy who really was playing kind of a Romeo pimp, right? Um, he was pretending to be her boyfriend, would ask her to leave school early, would go pick her up, ask her to keep the relationship a secret um, because people would uh, pull them apart. And obviously because of the age and because he was obviously doing something illegal, right? But under her eyes, she was like, yeah, my mom would freak out. So I never told her. And so he would pick her up, take her to the mall, buy her whatever she wanted. Um, and keep in mind that he was traveling to Reno with her, right? A minor would ask her to say that she's at a friend's house when in reality she was with him, would sneak out at night to go meet with him. And so little by little, he started kind of asking her for little favors, right? Obviously, um, he was asking her to get sexual with him. And then it started with his friends. And then that's when she started realizing that something was not right and wanted to speak up about it. But she was very reluctant because she loved him. She believed that she really loved him and he loved her. 
Um, she did not see him as someone that was exploiting her or trafficking her. She was seeing him as someone that, you know, was doing things that didn't make her feel good, but also no one has ever shown her that type of love, you know, at least uh, that's how she felt. And so with working with her and realizing that, you know, he has really created this dependency and has really groomed her and it was going to take some work, right? And uh, mom realized that something was going on as well and started becoming concerned because she started coming in with clo clothing that she did not purchase for her because she's like, I don't have the money. That's why I worked so hard to just put a roof over our head that she was like, something's not going, something is going on. That's not right. Found an extra cell phone on her. And so what was really concerning for mom was that she did not know she was skipping class, right? She was not aware that she was sneaking out at night. So in her mind, it never crossed, this never crossed her mind that her daughter could possibly be um, exploited or trafficked. Um, and so after, you know, really working with mom and really working um, with also the mom's friend who was kind of her support system, you know, mom made the decision to kind of move her away. Um, you know, we're not saying that this is really the solution to a situation like that, but it's really, really important to make a victim feel supported, make a victim feel like they are a victim. They didn't do anything wrong um, because we know that adults like that, traffickers like this, take advantage of girls who are vulnerable, right? And are experiencing a difficult time with, you know, self-esteem or maybe their family dynamic is not perfect. Um, but I think it's just a perfect reminder to let parents know and just anyone, right? That this does happen. It does happen in our city. It does happen in our state, in this country. And it's super important for us to be knowledgeable on the red flags, right? And just know that this can happen to anyone. And so it's really important for us to keep our eyes open. And like Lisa mentioned, you know, you can't see what you don't know. So really knowing um, what human trafficking is and those red flags. With that being said, I just wanna talk about um, another story really quickly that is kind of different, um, but does happen very often. And so just for all of you to know, um, this is an amazing survivor. Her name is Rebecca Bender. And you can actually look her up. Um, she tells her story um, through YouTube. So there's a YouTube video that you can actually reference and look up. And again, her name is Rebecca Bender. And she talks about how, you know, she had a child pretty much in college. Um, she met this guy who seemed amazing, right? Um, and even met her family, was apparently a music producer, would travel a lot. That was kind of his excuse for traveling. Um, after meeting her family and after she fell in love with him and he pretty much groomed her by using also her child, her daughter, um, she decided to move away with him at his request to move to Las Vegas because apparently he had a career opportunity there. And so she loved him at this time, right? And trusted him, did not think anything of the situation. And so she moves to Las Vegas with him and he tells her as soon as they get there that she now needs to pay back all the money he spent, right? Gives her an amount of money that he spent and told her, now you need to, you know, make me that money back and drops her off at an escort service. And so he is trafficking her at this time, uses her child to threaten her, to have more power and control over her, to let her know that if she does not comply, something will happen to her child. Um, she got arrested many times for prostitution. Never was she asked the correct question or seen as a victim of sex trafficking, right? Um, when she was in fact a victim of sex trafficking, but you know, legally um, she was arrested for prostitution and was seen as a prostitute. And she talks about kind of how invisible she felt, right? Um, seeing all these people around her, right? 
doing what she was doing, seeing, you know, the police uh, arrest her and not really ask the correct questions and not seeing her as a victim, but seeing her as somebody that was willingly doing that, right? When in reality, that was not the case. Um, and I think it's just such a powerful story because this is something that often survivors and victims of sex trafficking feel, right? They feel invisible. They feel like no one really cares about what's going on. And that's why they feel so trapped, right? And at times they're not physically trapped, right? They're not chained um, to anything, but it's that psychological uh, manipulation that's happening, right? That not may not be visible to all of us. And so, you know, again, I would just really suggest for you to look into her story. It's such a great example of what happens um, and how invisible this may be if you don't really know the red flags or if you're not educated around human trafficking. Um, and I just think she's an overall amazing survivor and great example to all of us, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely, we'll link um, that YouTube video actually in the description below too. So you can just go ahead and um, easy access to go ahead and watch that. But yeah, it's it's so powerful, right? And I cannot imagine that feeling. I cannot imagine how it would feel to be stuck in a system where it essentially you kind of get that learned helplessness, right? Like there's just no way out. And now I'm just trying literally to survive. And suddenly the police are there, but then suddenly you're in jail and then put back out in the streets. Like that moment must, you know, it, it, I can't even imagine feeling like, Oh yes. Like, thank you. You're here. Like someone's here to save me. And then next thing I know mm -hmm. I'm in jail for being victimized. And the next thing I know, I'm right back out in the street, just as vulnerable, you know, just as kind of like um, accessible to my trafficker as I was before. Like I can't, oh, that's, it's so, it is such a powerful story. And again, it kind of just speaks to a lot of, a lot of the work we have to do around trafficking, right? And so again, every time we have these kind of conversations, we get to this point of like, it takes visibility. We always want to stop and say thank you to whoever is listening, because that's exactly mm -hmm. what you are here doing today. And so, yeah, we really appreciate the fact that you are here, right? And I think there's a lot of ways in which, you know, our society kind of has that misconception or that idea, right? We have a lot of just misconceptions of trafficking. And now with today, with currently, right, we have a lot of opportunity with social media platforms, which then allows a lot more opportunity for possible trafficking and a few other things. So we're going to talk for just a little bit here about the new um, presence online that is OnlyFans. And so if you are completely unfamiliar with OnlyFans, what this is, it is a site, not an app. It is a site in which individuals who are um, supposed to be 18 years or older, I'll say that, but individuals are allowed to post uh, and are actually, they're encouraged. That's what the site is about. They're encouraged to post online adult, um, almost pornographic or pornographic content. And this is put out for subscribing users, right? And so individuals are now paying directly um, to the content creator for sexual images or pornographic images of themselves. And so there's a lot about this, right? We could probably spend, we might have to do another episode just on OnlyFans. Um, but to kind of just give a little idea, right? And we are not shaming sex workers at all. We are not shaming you whatsoever. I think a lot of what we are doing and want to do is just provide information so anyone and everyone can make very well-informed decisions, right? And have like a really um, 
real life look kind of at systems and, and what's going on. And so OnlyFans, um, it's, it's becoming very dangerous. And I'll say a few of the reasons why. So first reason being that on this site, um, there, again, it's encouraged to post pornographic or adult content. And to sign up as a content creator, you have to be 18. But when the site was first produced to verify your age, the very effective age verification test was, are you 18? Check yes or no. Do we all remember when we first made a Facebook and we said that we were like 32 when we were like 12? <laughs> yes, right. How easy is it to just be like, hmm, I am, right? Um, so they have, after a few years and a lot of things kind of happening, they have changed that to now you have to send a selfie of yourself with your ID. So this for a couple of reasons, I'm just like, that's not awesome. A, um, anyone can manipulate images. I'm talking anyone at this point. So for a youngin to manipulate an image via Photoshop, um, I don't think would take much time at all. I hate to even put that out. I'm not trying to like give instructions. I'm just saying they, they already know. Right? I don't think <laughs> no. I've planted anything. I think they're already pretty keen to it. Um, and so like, secondly, right, if we have people coming onto the site, we're not verifying it on the other end, right? So we're trying to verify users that are coming into the site, right? And we're not doing a good job of that. At the same time, the people that want to come and buy the content, there's no age verification there. So it's a really obscure system where, of course, it's going to allow minors to have access to quite potentially is child pornography, right? Because any sexualized or uh, pornographic image of someone younger than 18 is, is child pornography, right? So there's kind of like issue one for us. Um, issue two with this site is that I think it really boomed in the pandemic, right? So a lot of people are using it really boomed. And it was, you know, a lot of it came out of like financial insecurity and people being like, okay, I can't make money, but you know, especially women being like, okay, maybe I'm not able to work, but I have to pay off my student loans and I have like kids or I have bills and, and what can I do? Well, Hey, um, you know, this is pretty lucrative right now. Right. And one good thing about it in my mind is like, I kind of have power, right? I'm not being trafficked. I'm creating the images. I get to sell them. I get to choose. Well, two things on that. If you don't have a huge social media following to begin with, um, I think, and we were just on a webinar about this, it's like the top 10% of OnlyFans content creators have about 75% of all the money. And so really what we see is like a super small percentage of people that are making a huge profit, but young people, especially young women, right? And this is really marketed towards kids as well and youth. Uh, I mean, there's OnlyFans marketing on uh, TikTok and Snapchat like crazy, right? We know the majority of those users are people younger than 18. Um, and so they're really getting, you know, marketed to this, but they don't understand when they get on the site, right? There's all these false promises. I'm going to make all this money, but unless you come right with like a huge number of followers, uh, you're not searchable on the site. So you can't build a, a, you know, a follower base by people searching you. Um, and so a lot of people get on the site, a lot of women get on the site and realize I'm not making a lot of money, right? So especially young people, right? Maybe if they're uh, vulnerable, really looking to make money for whatever reason, maybe they have a lot of financial insecurity, things going on. They go onto the site, they're not making a lot of money. 
hey, well, we know traffickers are also on there, right? And again, like Melissa shared in that episode last time with her, when we asked who's at risk for trafficking, and she was like, anyone with social media, right? So we think about now this, this is like a perfect catalog for traffickers. We can see, you know, we can usually tell someone is younger than 18 or even looks young, right? Uh, we know they're already kind of accustomed to putting out some sexualized images. And now, hey, if you kind of came thinking you're gonna make a million bucks, you're making $5 a month. Somebody comes in kind of with that, that uh, Romeo pimp kind of prerogative, right? Hey girl, I think you're gorgeous. You're not making money on here. Let me help you out. I can connect you. I can help manage your account. I can make sure you get followers. We'll get this going, right? And then what could happen is essentially now this person's controlling your account. So talking to your um, viewers who kind of just become in a way like buyers or like Johns, right? Because they're buying sexualized content. And now this person no longer has control, right? They're, they're pretty much being trafficked by this other entity that's now controlling their account um, and kind of selling them off. And they're probably, yeah, taking part of the money, right? And doing that. And so we just want to point out OnlyFans. And a thing that I heard that was so beautiful on this webinar, right? Discussing all this, discussing the inherent risks for abuse that could occur and so many other things. But one of the things that was stated was, you know, it's, it's mainstreaming sex work, which we're not shaming, but it's mainstreaming sex work, but also completely obscuring the risks. And so we, we just had to highlight that and break it up today because again, we talk about, you know, Usually people, I think, get really kind of connected to issues when we tell the real life stories, when they can say like, oh, wow, right? And like, here's somebody's, um, here's somebody's take on it, right? Or someone's experience. Um, and so it's really important that we start kind of looking into systems right now, right? That are kind of up and coming. Because um, sooner than later, I feel like, you know, we're, we're going to hear a lot more stories about this. Just in that webinar, the, the person that um, was running it said, you know, I, I share this information and not to shame anyone. I'm not trying to do that. I want everyone to be empowered with information. And I just don't want anyone else to say to me, I would have never signed up if I knew this. I would have never got on OnlyFans if I knew mm -hmm. this. And there's so many risks. There's already so much happening and it hasn't really been like booming for that long. And so, yeah, we definitely wanted to kind of spend some time here today, kind of just pick that apart a little bit, right? Because again, we want to, I think the best way to kind of um, change something, the best way to kind of deal with an issue is hopefully prevent it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, you know, spending some time getting to know only fans, right. And, and kind of doing more work on that. Definitely important. Right. Especially when we're kind of talking about this issue. And so, yeah, we might come back to this. I think it'd probably be a good idea to come back, maybe do a full only fans episode. Um, but we also wanted to share too, because not only the re relatability, right. Of some apps and things that are super accessible to us, uh, but, Speaking of trafficking, there's a pretty big event coming up pretty quickly uh, that we definitely want to share some statistics about. So, Brie, why don't you go ahead and reveal what that is? Yeah, so I think I'm actually going to challenge the listeners for a second to think of um, an event that is coming up. You know, we're recording this at the end of January, like we were talking about. So some sort of event that might uh, draw in a significant increase in human trafficking. Just take a second to think about that. Maybe you're just familiar with what happens around the first weekend of February. It's the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. I was like, Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> so the Super Bowl is a huge, huge draw, unfortunately, for human trafficking. Um, I became familiar with that concept 
when I started in this work. And so it was an idea that came up to have in this podcast when I was starting research for it. I initially found articles from, you know, some psychological associations or social welfare sites, that kind of thing. Uh, but I, I actually found an article from ESPN that they released last year. And so I thought, good for them that ESPN is actually recognizing this. It's not this dark secret that you only find out if you're going into domestic violence, sexual assault work. It's something that people are becoming more aware of, which is great. And so they had cited that according to a study from uh, the Institute for Sport and Social Justice, Justice uh, which was called Shout Out, Shut Out Trafficking, sorry, that in 2019 alone, there were 2,907 individuals arrested, suspected, or charged with human trafficking in the United States. More than 400 people over 18 years of age were rescued from being trafficked and nearly 115 children under age 18 were freed. And there were also in that year, 83 new laws passed and 483 community-based initiatives to fight human trafficking. So that gives you a little bit of overview from 2019, but this, is, this next one's a little bit more Super Bowl specific. Uh, so also according to that study, there's consistently a spike of reported incidents in the U.S. around January and February, which is when the Super Bowl takes place, of course. In January 2019, there were approximately 450 reported incidents. So let's take note of that, reported. If that's the number of reported, we can only come up with our imagined numbers of how much was actually going on. So that yeah. was in January was 450 with a jump to approximately 540 in February. And just to compare that to another month for you, it dropped down to 140 in March 2019. So we were in the 400s, 500s in January, February, around the Super Bowl. March, not a significant sporting event time, dropped down to 140. And that consistently happens every year to the point where I've even seen at some universities there is uh, an office where they evaluate human trafficking statistics and they do studies around the Super Bowl. It is that significant of an event because it, it brings a lot of people. And I know JC has now a really inspiring story, I think, around the Super Bowl and uh, human trafficking. Yeah, so we know definitely that demand is very high during that time. Um, and I actually had a amazing volunteer who specifically was very passionate about sex trafficking um, and really helping victims. And so she has done a lot of work, not just here in Tahoe, but also in Reno area, um, but specifically one year. And I, I believe she, she wanted to become, she wanted it to become a traditional thing that she would do every year. Right. Um, but she did go to one of the Super Bowls and apparently um, her church specifically kind of created a partnership with, the police. Um, and after everything that they would do during the Super Bowl, they would actually allow the victims to go with them where they would specifically rent a house and kind of set up a whole safe area for them. So that that way they're able, victims and survivors are able to shower, eat and get some rest, right? Even wow. though they know most likely they weren't going to take the help 
right, um, that they were providing them during that time. Um, but at least they knew that they were able to keep them safe for just a little bit of time. Um, at least for those four or five hours, they were able to get some food, right, and some water. Because at times we know that traffickers will deprive them from that and from rest specifically. Um, and so there were some victims that would take the help. Um, and there were some victims that would go back to the traffickers, right? And again, we know that they go back to their traffickers for many different reasons, for fear, um, because of the psychological manipulation, right? The trauma bonds, a lot of different reasons. Um, but there, she mentioned how there were like hundreds of victims that were pretty much saved during that time. And they would, you know, help them shower, would give them new clothes, um, would pretty much, you know, help them as much as possible and provide them with services, right? There were actually agencies, local agencies that would be there as well awesome. and try to provide them with services and help. Yeah. And so I just thought it was something so amazing and so inspiring. And I guess there was a big need, right? Because they knew that the demand was high. There were things that were specifically done during that time because police um, and law enforcement knew uh, that the demand was high during that time and that there was a lot of trafficking going on. And so after every sting, they would set up a pretty much a house, you know, in different houses, because there was some around the block in different areas, um, but pretty much as a support place for them to be able to rest and sleep and really just, you know, hopefully connect with someone to get help. That's awesome. Just thinking about the visibility, right? Thinking about when we're talking about, can you imagine that feeling that invisible, like being arrested and then thrown in jail? And then, you know, if you make bail, now you're back out in the street, right? Think about the, the difference just in that experience, right? Like now, okay, maybe, you know, it was part of this thing that happened, but now I'm, oh, wow, able to seek services and relax and like take a shower and like all these very humanizing things that maybe doesn't seem a lot to us. But again, even like just that difference of, am I going to jail or am I going with people that are going to kind of sit down with me and say like, Hey, you know, are you okay? And take that time. Right. It's just, it's way more humanizing. So yeah, I think that's. Yeah. Awesome. We don't mean to ruin your Super Bowl Sunday this year or any upcoming years. However, <laughs> just to increase, yeah, increase just the worldview, you know, understand that, just because everything looks all pomp and circumstance on the outside doesn't mean that everything that goes on with the Super Bowl is totally controlled, totally legal, totally safe, totally healthy. That is not true at all. So just to, to increase your knowledge and know that if you're passionate about this, maybe there's something you can do, probably not this year, thanks COVID, but maybe next year we'll get back to uh, being on the ground and, and helping. I hope that maybe there's some extent of that going on this year. I haven't heard anything about that, but if this is something that sparks your interest, there's definitely ways to get involved. I think that's great. Yeah, I can share a campaign. There is a campaign. It's actually for We've done this before in our agency. We've partnered and done this. Um, there's a campaign called One Billion Rising, and it's an anti-human trafficking campaign that specifically, I think, celebrates or kind of does public awareness on the Super Bowl. That's kind of like their what they really target, what they really share out uh, statistics and kind of advertise for, right, is ending it, especially around the Super Bowl. Um, and so there was a few years ago we did get involved. We did the One Billion Rising flash mob in um, the heavenly gondola area of Lake Tahoe. It was I mean, for me, I'm just not a dancer, so like not an ideal experience, but it was a great experience, right? It really did like bring a lot of people out. There was a lot of conversation. 
Um, but yeah, like it's, yeah, we, we do hate to ruin anyone's Super Bowl Sunday, hopefully. And, you know, I don't think we have here, but at the end of the day, it's just important, right? Yeah. These may be like, wow, that's a bummer to hear that, but it's more of a bummer for a person mm -hmm. living in that circumstance when help is not available because we just don't want to know about it because it's too hard mm -hmm. for us. Right. Imagine being in that circumstance. Yeah, way harder living that, right, and surviving through that. And so, yeah, it could be uncomfortable, but it does take it, you know, it, it's, and it comes back to supply and demand, right? The reason the system is so big and exists so well. And P.S., we're not saying that, like, the Super Bowl, we're not saying that, like, the NFL has anything to do with, like, trafficking people. Like, right, that's not right. what we're saying. It just comes down to that big right. event, right? And so it's it's because that event is so huge. There's so many people traveling to town. There just could be room for that. We're not saying anyone is or indefinitely right we're not coding everybody that attends a football no, no, game no. yeah in that way right there's just there's room for it right and so it comes back to um it's just because this is a big event with a lot of people and there's a lot of opportunity or a lot mm -hmm. of demand for this and that's what it's all about so the less we talk about it the less it's understood and then you know maybe the more people can kind of justify it in their head of doing this because like eh, it doesn't seem that bad no one's telling me it's bad, right? No one's really having a conversation about it, right? So super important, um, I think, just to yeah, help us kind of like normalize to, to unnormalize it and hopefully decrease that supply or lead to a lot more support or maybe even like recovery, right? Like sting operations where we, we do see visibility, right? We do like save people instead of arresting them. And I know you know, to kind of end this on a happy note, right? Because we always want to do that. This isn't as dark as it always seems. We do see differences in numbers, right? This awareness and prevention does help. Um, in our episode, Melissa, I think it's gone down a few million, right? In the last few years, as far as survivors or victims and survivors. So with that, we want to share out um, just recently, there was actually a pretty, wow, a pretty um, positive sting operation that happened. And so Bree, do you want to share out on that yeah so in southern california there was what was called operation lost angels and they recovered just this month just january 2021 they were able to recover 33 children and of those 33 eight were being sexually exploited at the time of the recovery at the time of their rescue Two minors were recovered on multiple occasions throughout the operation, highlighting that, as we've talked about, it's not uncommon for victims who are rescued to return to commercial sex trafficking either voluntarily or by forced fraud or coercion. So even though we might have that safe house, we might have those resources, it is a very real thing that they might go back into that life. And we just have to be there as a safe landing place each and every time they choose to leave. You know, we've talked about in domestic violence as well, that it takes on average seven times for someone to leave a domestic violence relationship. Uh, I don't know the numbers for leaving trafficking off the top of my head, but we can expect that they're pretty high as well. And we know just all of the trauma bonds that happen, especially if it's a Romeo pimp, you know, and it started so good and you're getting all of these what you thought were great resources and great gifts from this person. And then it ended up uh, being trafficking. You know, there's so much going on. There's so many reasons why someone might go back. So they definitely recognize that. And they rescued at least two minors uh, more than once 
which good for them. Keep going. We'll keep rescuing until <laughs> they're ready to go. <laughs> keep doing the work. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to mention too, we were heavy talking about stuff we're going to share in our description today. And I, and I like that because I love providing, you know, additional resources. Um, but there's a really incredible, it's a, it's a YouTube video, but it's actually um, a, a poem being spoken out. There's a visual piece put behind it. It's really beautiful. And I think um, as, as difficult as it is, right, because it's an experience told, um, it's a trafficking experience told by a trafficking survivor in the form of, again, this poem and this visual put behind it. I think it just does such a great job really putting in context like the bond or that that Romeo pimp right and kind of how that relationship really really works so I really encourage you guys to watch it um, it's called America's Daughters again we're gonna link it below as well um, it really does I, I remember watching it it makes me emotional every single time I watch it but I remember the first time because I know this right we go to trainings on this we teach it to others right and there's a level of just like an understanding intrinsically that we now have but i remember hearing it for the first time and it all of it just made so much more sense right talking about that bond that manipulation that that love and then how the cycle kind of happens and then continues and so again really encourage you guys to follow after after you're done watching this okay but when you're done watching this uh follow the link below and give it a give it a view because yeah it's super informational right and i think putting a lot of these pieces together to um and talking about that bond because it's super important. Absolutely. Well, we talked about so much today and I think, you know, it was such a great conversation and I think we all hide such great information. And I just want to highlight one thing really quickly is that there are sex workers that willingly go into, you know, that industry, but there's times where, you know, yes, they entered willingly, but they are stuck there, right? And they're having to do things unwillingly. And this is something that is seen. I was connected to someone who was being um, trafficked. So she entered, you know, a strip club willingly wanting to strip, thinking that she, all she had to do was dance. And then later on was actually trafficked and was being forced to do things that she did not consent to and want to do. And so I just think it's so important to highlight that and to know that, yes, you know, trafficking does happen in legal industries, you know? so. Sometimes it may look like someone's willingly doing something, but that's not always the case. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, I know we've talked about a lot today. Uh, we tried to end on a little bit of a happy note uh, as far as there is hope. There are rescues that are happening. There's people that are on the ground doing the work, whether it's volunteer or part of their job in the police department or whatever department is helping out with these recoveries such as operation lost angels we're so thankful for those individuals thankful for everyone who devotes any amount of time to helping these people or even just understanding them a little bit more you know we've talked about terms and if you're ever in a conversation with someone you hear those terms you might be a little bit more educated now uh, to connect them to resources or to just be there for that person and whatever they may be going through I hope that we end this month on a high note of there is work to be done, but it is being done and we can have hope in that. Yeah. Even our listeners being here today, right? Even you listening to this conversation, you're, you're doing this work right now, right? So yeah, we super appreciate everyone that is listening, that is still listening, that's chimed in, that's been a part of other episodes and conversations. Cause yeah, even though it, 
you know, maybe even just watching a YouTube video doesn't seem like you're doing a lot. It really is right when it mm -hmm. comes down to just properly educating yourself on this subject. And so, you know, with all that heaviness, we're going to go ahead and meditate. I know our lovely JC is going to lead us through a little bit of breathing today to kind of bring it down, right? Kind of ah, get us ready for our weekend and just give us a little bit of calm after that heavy conversation. So JC, thank you. We appreciate you in advance for this meditation. Of course. I think it's definitely needed. So go ahead and get comfortable. Sit comfortably in a quiet place where you can be free from distractions. Close your eyes or gaze low at the ground ahead of you. Turn your attention and awareness inwards towards your breath. Without trying to change anything, simply notice how you are breathing right now. Is the breath moving through the nose or the mouth? Describe the rhythm of your breath. Notice if there's a difference between breathing in and breathing out. How does the breath feel as it moves through your body? Where in the body do you notice the breath? And as you focus inward towards your breath, your body, notice also your mind. How might the breath, as it is right now, relate to the mind? Just notice. Go ahead and take a deep breath in and out. Take another deep breath in and out. If you haven't already, close your lips and begin to breathe in and out through your nose. Without making any drastic change, stay comfortable without forcing or pushing, just with as much ease as possible. Use a short count to even out the breath. Go ahead and inhale for one, two, three. Exhale for one, two, three. Go ahead and inhale for one, two, three. Exhale for one, two, three. Match the exhaled breath to the length of the middle inhale breath. Breathe as naturally as possible, but equally. Just match your easy breath out with the length of it breathing in. Go ahead and inhale, one, two, three. Exhale, one, two, three. Go ahead and breathe in again. Inhale, one, two, three. Exhale, one, two, three. Find balance between breath in and out. Focus on equal breathing. Think about how your breath feels right now. Don't make any big changes. Continue to stay comfortable. And inhale, one, two, three. Exhale, one, two, three, four. 
spend a little more time on breathing out. Again, inhale. One, two, three. Exhale. One, two, three, four. Now start breathing comfortably without forcing with as much ease as possible. Go ahead, let's extend the ex exhale breath to five. So inhale, one, two, three. Now exhale, one, two, three, four, five. Same easy breath in, and we're just going to breathe a longer breath out. So again, inhale, one, two, three. Exhale, one, two, three, four, five. Again, one last time. Inhale, one, two, three. Exhale, one, two, three. Go ahead and slowly roll your shoulders in, and then roll your shoulders out. Move your neck from side to side. Slowly open your eyes, and bring yourself back to your room. I always feel like I took a nap. <laughs> Every time, Good. every time yes. I come out, I'm like, I feel like I just <laughs> napped for like an hour, but I was also on camera during that hour long nap. Um, right. That was really lovely, JC. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Thank you for following along. I think that was a great way to end this great way to end our month. And uh, we just thank everyone so much for being here, for listening. We're uh, excited for some upcoming awareness months. So stay tuned for those. But in the meantime, thanks so much. Enjoy your day. Uh, we enjoyed having you as a part of this one conversation and hope you continue to have conversations about this to help us spread awareness.